And as they're sliding out, let me encourage you to grab a Bible uh, and turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab one that we've provided there under the chairs. And, and the ones we provide is page 975. Galatians chapter 6. Hey, didn't Caleb and Natalie do a great job leading us this morning? This is Caleb and Natalie Finsky, and they've been with us for, for, for a number of months now, and um, been grateful, thankful for you guys serving us today and leading us well. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 18 today, verses 11 through 18. Now as we, as we come upon our Christmas season, one of my favorite times of the year, I want you to reflect back with me. Some of you are, are kids and you won't have to reflect back too far. Some of us will have to reflect back a little longer than others. Um, what was one of the first things that you did as a kid on Christmas morning after you opened your presents? Wills are turning there. You probably spent some time playing with all the toys that you got. I know for me, it didn't take long before I'd probably broken a couple of the toys that I got. I mean, I remember like your hopes you see and then, and then you've like, broke it within an hour, and then you're all torn apart, like, what am I going to do? This is what I put my, my hope in. But after you've spent some time playing, you're probably getting a niche to do something else. If you're like me, you probably wanted to go and do some boasting. Now, here's what I did. I, I didn't just want to play with my toys. I also wanted to do what? I wanted to tell all my buddies what I got for Christmas. Hey, let me tell you about this remote control car. Let me tell you about this weightlifting set, this bench that's going to sit in my back deck and not be touched for a year, you know? And, and some, you know, it happened to be some Sundays, sometimes Christmas fell on a Sunday, so you'd have Christmas, and then it's like, you're going to put on that outfit, and you're going to church because you want everybody to know, I got these sneakers on Christmas, and, and check them out. Aren't they cool? And, and this new sweater, you know, we're boasting about the things that we have gotten. We probably didn't think about this as kids. But isn't it true that what you boast about is often what you treasure? What you boast about often reveals what you most treasure in life. When we come to Galatians today, this is the last passage in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. And Paul is going to be talking about boasting. And so the, the title of our sermon today is Boasting in Christ from the Cradle to the Cross. And what Paul's going to be doing, he's going to recap a number of his major themes that we've already seen in the first six chapters. And, and then he's going to have one main plea with us as we wrap up this book today. And so the main point that I want you to get, if you don't get anything else, is this, is that Paul is wanting to, to get us to embrace this, is that we should reject legalistic Christianity by embracing and boasting in the cross of Christ. Reject legalistic Christianity by embracing 
and boasting in the cross of Christ. Look here with me in Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. And verse 11 is going to set the tone for how I want us to receive the word today. So Galatians 6, beginning in verse 11, this is what Paul writes. He says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Galatians 6.11 is when Paul takes the stylus out of the secretary's hands and he pens the conclusion. That was normal back in the day that Paul was dictating his letter, but he probably had a secretary that was recording it for him. But now he's taking the stylus and he's writing in big letters. See with what large letters I'm writing to you. Why does he do that? I'll give you a hint by using an illustration of what happened to me this week. It was Tuesday. I'd spent a majority of my day at the Harvard Library doing some research. And you guys know what happened Tuesday afternoon, right? Another snowstorm. We love snow in Boston. So I'm making my trip back home. I'd caught the bus back and I'm driving, bus to my car and then I'm driving and I pull into the driveway. The other thing that was happening Tuesday is, you know, Lee and I are heading on um, to spend some time with family over the next week and a half or so. And so we wanted to make sure that our car was good to go for this 15-hour trip that we're going to make to North Carolina. And so the car had been in the shop, and, and Lee had, had told me that the car needed to be picked up. And so I'm driving a car. I can't also go pick a car up. And so Lee's home with the kids. It's pouring down snow. I pull into the driveway, and I, I, I call my wife. And so here's how the conversation went. Hey, John, um, the car's ready. It needs to be picked up. And here's how I respond. I say, Lee, it is pouring down snow. Now, just so you guys know, the place we get our car worked on is about a five-minute walk from my house. I mean, it's not far. You guys have seen it. It's a gas station right across the river there near the basketball courts. Um, the guy works on our car. And so usually I just walk. You know, it's easy. It's convenient. I can just walk and pick our car up. But it is pouring down snow. And so I have an, a brilliant idea. I say, Lee, how about... You leave Ava home with Emmett and Owen. Hop in the car with me. We'll be gone two minutes. You can go drop me off and drive back home. I mean, how many moms are on board with that? Uh, Matt? How many dads? How many dads? Yeah. I mean, what is the big deal? Ava is almost like a mom anyway. And, you know, she's awesome. And like, Lee, it, I w I'm going to have to walk through the snow to go pick up your car you know, um, you can probably tell where this conversation went. She said, I'm absolutely not leaving here. Ava here alone with the kids. So that means I'm walking to get my car. So she said that. I'm trying to convince her it's not working. And so I hang up the phone. I get, I'm sitting in the drive already. Throw my phone in my coat pocket. Put my hoodie on. And I'm, just, I'm treaching the five-minute walk covered in snow. I get there. I get back home. And I hadn't looked at my phone since. And I pull my phone out of my pocket. And there's a text message from my wife. In all caps. If she could have italicized it, bolded it, and underlined it, she would have. And it said this. Do not hang up the phone on me. <laughs> there you guys know. Hey, look, I'm not a perfect pastor. I don't always bear the fruit of the Spirit with patience and kindness and gentleness. And so Lee could tell us frustrated that she would not leave Ava home and go take me to the car. The point is, what did Lee want me to get? Why was it all caps? 
It was a message that she wanted to make sure I understood clearly. Do not do this. When we come to Galatians 6, Paul in verse 11 is doing that to us. He's saying, I don't want you to miss this message as I wrap up this book here. And so what, what I want us to do is I want us to read these concluding verses with a heightened sense for understanding Paul's message that he so strongly wanted the Galatians to receive. You got that? That's how we're to read and to respond to these verses. And so the first truth that Paul wants us to get is this. Avoid the self-centered boasting of the Judaizers. Avoid the self-centered boasting of the Judaizers. We see this beginning in verse 12. So in verse 12, Paul writes, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Now, we, as we've gone throughout Galatians, Paul has not named these, his opponents, though he's described them pretty clearly. So how does he describe them here? He says those. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. The main opponent in the whole letter are these Judaizers who are arguing that you must be circumcised to be saved. This is, this is what he's been addressing in this whole letter. What, another one of the things that I want to do today is you're going to see I'm going to be reflecting back across the whole book. And I want to try to help connect the dots for us. As we go back here to chapter 1, at the very beginning, it reminds us of this, where Paul said, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So what was their error? How are they distorting the gospel? The way these Judaizers were distorting the gospel was saying that you had to be circumcised to be saved. Now let me make this clear. Paul's issue wasn't with circumcision. His issue was, was with attaching circumcision with the salvific ramifications so that if you're going to be saved, you have to be circumcised. The keeping of the law in addition to the cross of Christ. And this is the main thesis that Paul's been trying to destroy to the whole book of Galatians. Continue to reflect with me. Galatians chapter 2, he says this, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by, by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He continues on, Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Here's his point. If you can be justified by works, why did Jesus have to die? He continues on. Galatians 3.10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Okay, if you want to go that route, 
And you want to say that to be saved, you've also got to be circumcised. He says, you need to know this. If you rely on works, you're under a curse, for it's written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. If you want to go that route, if you want to say that you're going to be saved by keeping these rules and these laws, you need to know this. You've got to keep them all. Because if you break even one, he says, you're under a curse. He continues. Well, then why the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. It was given for a season. Why? The law was given because of sin. It was, it was like a mirror. It was to show your sin, but it was for a short season, which he continues in Galatians 3.21. Is the law contrary to promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. And then verse 24. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. In other words, I'll share an illustration that somebody in my community group shared. The law is, is like a bus. And you get on the, the school bus of the law. And where does the school bus take you? It takes you to school. You get on the bus of the law. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate this illustration. You get on the bus. You ride that bus. And when you get to school, what do you do? What has the bus served? It has served to get you to school. But when you get to school, do you stay on the bus? You get off the bus and you go to school. And so the illustration is you use the law. It is like a bus and it gets you to the school of Christ. And when you get to Christ, you get off the bus of the law because Christ is the end. It is the promised one. The law is our guardian until Christ came. Christ is the fulfillment. Or we may use other terminology, a shadow. The law was a shadow. If, if I was in a, in, a, in, a, in a grocery store and my kids happened to get lost and they're in an aisle, they're lost. They're looking for mom and dad. They don't know where to go. So they run to the end of the aisle. And at the end of the aisle, they see a shadow. And they think that shadow may be mom or dad. What gives them the most joy? The shadow or actually seeing mom and dad face to face? The shadow may give a certain sense of hope, but it's not until they turn the corner and they look up and they see dad or mom's face that they realize they have, and they embrace. The shadow is pointless then, right? The shadow pointed to the true reality. And so Christ is the true reality. That's what Paul has been trying to defeat in the whole book of Galatians. So we see their error in adding on to the cross of Christ. But we also see in these verses their motivation. Go back here in verse 12 with me. In verse 12, he says, It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that. We, we, we see purpose here. We see what, what they're after. In order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. First of all, their motivation was to avoid the persecution of the cross of Christ. Now I'm going to remind you of a verse that Paul said about this in Galatians chapter 5. Paul says this, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being 
persecuted. In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Let me ask you this. What is the offense of the cross? What is so offensive about the cross of Christ? You know what's offensive, and maybe even today, this may offend you, but the offensiveness of the cross is that you can do nothing to save yourself. That's the offense. The offense is Jesus has done everything. We, we have themed this theme through Galatians, this series called Jesus Plus Nothing. The message of the cross is that only through the death of Christ can your sins be atoned for. And so the offense that is screaming from the cross is, your works mean nothing. And so you can sit there and get mad and say, well, that can be an offense to you. And this is what Paul is getting at here. Jesus paid it all all to him I owe. If Paul was still preaching that people had to be circumcised, then the offense of the cross would be removed and he would no longer be persecuted. These Judaizers were wanting to avoid the persecution that came from the offense of the cross. Second, we see in verse 13, he says, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised. That, another reason that they may boast. You see that word boast? That they may boast in your flesh. Ultimately, they want to avoid persecution. How do they avoid that? They boast in their proselytes, in their converts to their Jewish practices. And that's their desire. They wanted to brag about how many Gentile Christians they had converted into the Jewish proselytes. Their boasting was turned inwardly on themselves and self-serving. So not only were they leading people into heresy, they were bringing praise to make themselves look good so that they could avoid the persecution that came from the cross of Christ. There's one other thing we also see in this text. It's their hypocrisy. Look in verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. You see that? They were requiring things that they were not even willing to keep themselves. Full of hypocrisy. So let me give you some personal application. Just as we think about avoiding the, the boasting, the self-centered boasting of the Judaizers, first I want to just challenge you with this, is that theology matters. Think you should get that from the book of Galatians. Theology matters. What you believe about Jesus and the cross matters. The whole book is about this. They had distorted the gospel, and he's defending the truth of the gospel. As a church, it matters that we defend the truth of the gospel. How is somebody saved? How is somebody justified? It is through faith in Christ. Second, the praise of others is alluring. The praise of others is alluring. It's so tempting 
to do ministry to receive praise. Let me just ask you this. Man, I know a lot of you are involved in different ministries. Maybe you're leading a community group. Maybe you're hosting a community group. Maybe you're, you're teaching kids on Sundays. Maybe you're in men's ministry or women's ministry or collegiate ministry, doing all kinds of different things. What is your ultimate goal and pursuit in your ministry? It is so tempting to do ministry to receive praise so that, that people might boast in how great you are or how great your ministry is or, or how great what, what you've done. Is your boasting in your ministry self-centered and self-serving or is it Christ-exalting? Some other implications of this. It's tempting to change the message in order to attract more people. So true in our day. Hey, just change the message. If it's all about praise, if it's all about people, if it's all about acceptance, you, you take the message and you match it with what everybody wants. It's also tempting to change the message in order to avoid public scorn. So here's the deal. Theology matters. Praise is alluring. But we must guard against that and fight for the purity of the gospel. That's what Paul was after in the book of Galatians. And that's what Redemption Hill Church needs to pursue. We need to prioritize those things. But a third personal application is we need to guard against hypocrisy. God is after genuine and authentic followers of Christ. May we not become like the Judaizers who proclaim one thing and go do another. But as, as what we sing, we would actually practice. I would even challenge you with this. Man, when you come on Sundays, man, usually Micah, Caleb, Seth, man, they're leading us in some great theologically driven and sound songs. As you sing those songs, you should be also asking, man, do I really believe these words? Is my, my life matching up with what I'm proclaiming with my mouth? That we would not just sing words, but we would live these words. That they would be authentic. We would be authentic and true worshipers of Christ. So we need to avoid the self-centered boasting of the Gentile, of the, of the Judaizers. And then the second truth that Paul wants us to get is that we should boast exclusively in the cross of Christ. Boast exclusively in the cross of Christ. Verse 14 is the key verse here in these concluding verses. And Paul says this, But far be it from me. But far be it from me to boast except. But far be it from me to boast except, to only boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just pause right there. Far be it from me. May, may my life be known for one thing. I'm only going to do this. I'm going to boast in one thing, and it is going to be the cross of Christ. I'm going to boast in a cross. Guys, think about that. But far be it for me to boast. Man, we boast about a lot of things. Man, I'm going, to, I'm going to boast in my sneakers at Christmas or my shirt. I'm going to boast in my favorite football team or the Patriots or the Bruins or the Sox. I'm going to boast in my lady friend, my wife, my family, my car. We boast in a lot of things. Paul says, far be it for me to only boast, to boast except in the cross of Christ. There was going to be one exclusive boasting. And it was going to be in a cross. 
And we talk about the cross all the time, but I want you to think about this. John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, describes it this way. He says, this statement is shocking because it's like saying, boast only in the electric chair, only exult in the gas chamber, only rejoice in the lethal injection. Let your one boast and one joy and one exultation be the lynching rope. I mean, the cross is where Christ died, but it was one of the, the main means of torture, of punishment. And I'm going to boast in that? We see the exclusivity of his boasting. We see the content of his boasting. And, and this makes sense. Because as we've studied through Galatians, what we have seen is that it, it is the cross that is at the centrality of the gospel. Look here. Galatians 1. Very beginning, his introduction. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. It is the centrality of the cross. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. Your greatest problem is that you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do to justify yourself. There's nothing you can do to stand before God and be acceptable or pleasing before Him. There's nothing. But the good news of Galatians is Christ gave Himself for you. Christ has redeemed you by becoming a curse for you. Galatians 2.20 For I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live, now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you are going to boast, if you're going to boast in anything, Paul is saying you're boasting. You could actually sum up and say, you know what, your life, the entirety of your life should be a boast in the cross. Guys, every good thing that you have in life was purchased on the cross. Every bad thing that God uses or turns for good was purchased on the cross. Anything good in your life you have because of the cross. Apart from the cross, we are just destined for wrath. We see the content of his boasting, but we also see this. The gospel prohibits boasting. God has saved us in such a way that we cannot boast in ourselves, but we boast in the cross. I want you to reflect on a few other verses with me. Look at 1 Corinthians. God chose 
what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why did God save us this way? So that we may not boast. Look at another one. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Have you thought about it? The reason salvation is by grace alone and faith alone is none of us have anything to boast about. Look, one day when Jesus returns and we go stand before God, none of us are going to be up there saying, hey, God, you should move me to the front of the line. None of us are going to have anything to boast in. All we contribute to the gospel is our sin. Every single one of us. Look, I'm, I'm talking about myself here. As I share this with you, I have no boasting before God. My one boast is Jesus gave himself for me. John Chastine has contributed sin after sin after sin, and I am only deserving of condemnation and wrath, but Jesus gave himself for me. Look, if, if you look in your life, and your life is not filled with a boasting of the cross, well then let me just, I mean, I'll ask you a valid, clear question. Do you really get the cross? If you don't find in your life a boasting, look and thank you for Jesus and the cross, you don't get it. Because when you see the cross, you see there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And Jesus did everything. If he did everything, then you cling to the cross. You boast in the cross. So Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 10, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Or he can say in 2 Corinthians 11, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in my sin and the magnify the glory of God in the cross. I'll boast in my weakness and I'll boast in the strength of the Lord. How do you do this? The only way to boast in the cross is to live on the cross. The only way to boast in the cross is to live on the cross. Until we are crucified, our boasting will be in ourselves. There are actually three crucifixions going on in chapter, in verse 14. Look at it again. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was crucified except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I have been crucified to the world. This is what Paul gets when he writes Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The only way your life will overflow with much boasting in the cross of Christ is if daily you live on the cross. If daily you live out Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified. I am going to, it's Jesus saying, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, 
Take up his cross and come follow me and do it daily. Renounce everything and come be my disciples. That's what disciples of Christ do. If we are going to boast in Christ, let me ask you this. What is going to be the number one competitor to the boasting in Christ? It's going to be yourself. I love myself. I want people to like me. I want people to praise me. And every single one of you, that's, you, you do too. You want to feel welcome. You want to feel accepted. You, you want to feel loved. You want to feel praised. It is yourself that is going to keep you from boasting in Christ. And so pride and love of self must daily be crucified if I'm going to boast in the cross. When Christ saves us, his death, as John Piper says, becomes the death of our self-exalting life. We are raised to newness of life. What lives is a new creature whose single passion is to exalt Christ and His cross. Paul was crucified with Christ. The world was crucified to Him. He was crucified to the world. So to be crucified to the world means to walk in the light, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to live in the freedom of Christ. It's our job to live in such a way and speak in such a way that others see the worth of Christ crucified and they savor it as we do. So as I wrap up, we see the exclusivity of his boasting, the content of his boasting, the gospel prohibiting boasting, the way to boast by living on the cross. As you boast, we should cherish the benefits of the cross. We see in verse 15, as we wrap up here, he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but what? A new creation. A new creation. Here's what happens. When you come to understand the gospel and the implications of the cross, and you respond, as we've seen, how was somebody justified? By faith, right? What did we see in Galatians 3? How does the Spirit do works among you? It is through the hearing of faith. It is hearing the gospel. It is responding in faith. God gives you a spirit and you become a new creation. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you have placed your faith in Christ completely in the cross and you have been crucified with Christ, you're a new creation. Another way to say this is you have been born again. Think of the language here. God didn't just resuscitate you. You are a new creation. It brings imagery. God created everything in the beginning, tainted by sin, and now he has now recreated you in the gospel. So you are new, new affections, new desires, new habits. And this new creation is not the result of circumcision. It's not the result of uncircumcision. This new creation is the work of the Spirit of God as you believe in the cross. If you're here today and, and you're saying, you know what? I'm not sure if I've been born again. I'm not sure if I'm a new creation. The way you become a new creation is by seeing 
and embracing this message. Jesus gave himself for you. There is nothing, absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself. And you come before God and you say, God, I contribute nothing but my sin and there's no way I can be justified. But Jesus gave himself for me. I believe it. As we just sang those words, God, give me faith to believe your words, that you're true and that you are good, that you believe these words. And you respond and say, I believe Jesus died for me. God, forgive me of my sins. You place your faith in Christ and you call out to God. He will forgive you. He will give you a spirit and you will be born again. You will be a new creation. And you know what happens when you become a new creation with new desires and new affections? This is what happens. Galatians 5. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Look at this next one here. For you are called to freedom. When you are born again, you're a new creation, there's freedom. Freedom from sin. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbors yourself. This is what new creation, new covenant believers do. Our life is characterized by through love, serve one another. And this is what is fulfilling the law of Christ. Galatians 5, verse 22. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's 516, which he follows up in 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is new creation life. This is what it means to live and, and embrace the benefits of the new creation. But the second thing we see here is that you're not only a new creation, you're also part of the new Israel. Look at verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. This is an interesting phrase here. Actually, this phrase, the Israel of God, is only found here in the entire New Testament. So it makes you just wrestle, okay, what is, what is Paul doing? What does he mean here by the Israel of God? And, and, and I agree with, um, with a scholar, Richard Longenecker, who says this. I want you to listen closely. He says, this is Paul's last shot at the Judaizers. And he implies that what the Judaizers were claiming to offer his converts, they already have in Christ by faith. What were the Judaizers offering? Hey, get circumcised and you can be a part of the family of God. You can be a part of Abraham's offspring. You can be a part of the children of God. And what, what Paul is doing is, is taking a shot at them saying, what they're offering you in circumcision, you already have. He says this, that they are truly children of Abraham together with all Jews who believe and so properly can be called the Israel of God together with all Jews who believe. Look, this lines up with what Paul's been arguing through Galatians. Look at Galatians 3 here. He says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. It's not those who go and get circumcised. It's those of faith. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, And you shall the nations be blessed. He continues, Galatians 3, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And one more, I love it. 
Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When Paul says here, and for all who walk by this, rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He's saying, through the cross of Christ, you are now part of the Israel of God. You are sons of Abraham. You are heirs according to the promise. You are my children. I have adopted you. Then Paul concludes in 17 and 18. Last verses of Galatians. He says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul was no fair-weather Christian. He said, my body bears the marks. Paul's own life bears witness that he had been crucified with Christ. He had been branded. Let me just tell you this. The Judaizers wanted to boast in Gentile converts to avoid persecution. But anyone who wants to be a follower of Christ will be persecuted like Christ. Paul says it. Jesus says it. Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, you will be persecuted. And so we shouldn't avoid the persecution of the cross The cross is where we place our hope even in the midst of persecution that God is true and that he will provide even in the the midst of death. We don't fear persecution. But then it's interesting here. How does he conclude in verse 18? Man, Paul's tone in Galatians has been pretty heavy. We see that in verse 11. See with what large letters. Get this. But notice how he concludes, grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul still considered them brothers in Christ, and he was hopeful that they would not follow this path, this distorted gospel, but that would return to the gospel, the justification through faith in Christ. Christmas morning will be here before you know it. And there's going to be many things to boast in. Presents, friends, family, chocolate-covered cherries, chocolate-covered pretzels, cookies, cakes. Let me ask you this. Will you say and practice with Paul, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Christ. Can you say that today? What would it look like this week to live in such a way that just boast in Christ? Maybe it might even be helpful to take a few minutes right now and to reflect, you know what? What have I boasted in this past week? What are some tangible ways that even today you can reflect and say, you know what? I need to boast in Christ. For this. I need the boast in the cross in this. This good thing Christ bought me on the cross. 
this good thing God bought me on the cross, this bad thing that God has used for good was bought on the cross. Greater Boston needs to see people who boast in the cross. And you know what this boast, usually when we think of boasting, what do we think about? Usually has a negative connotation, right? I mean, don't go and boast. That's prideful, that's arrogant. But our boasting in the cross is not prideful and arrogant because it's a boasting that magnifies our weakness and displays the glory of God. As tempting as it is to boast, to magnify your greatness, we need to magnify God's greatness. Will you do that this week? How can you tangibly do that this week? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, that even as we reflect on the birth of Christ today, we know that His birth served the purpose of Him being born as a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem us by taking Himself to the cross. God, ultimately our redemption was bought on the cross. So God, we ask even this morning that you would help us to embrace the cross, that, that our lives would be cross-centered lives. God, that our boasting, even as we leave today, our boasting would be a boasting in the cross. That God, change our minds, our hearts, affect our hearts. God, show us all these good things that you have bought for us in the cross. And God, help us to live this new creation life by faith in Christ crucified with Christ, making much of Christ. I pray in Christ's name, amen.